Welcome to Highball Politics, what Americans' bartenders are hearing. I'm David Kochel. And I'm Rob Stutzman. Each week, David and I are interviewing a bartender in a different U.S. city and state to find out what people there really care about when it comes to politics and culture. Why bartenders? Because bartenders have the pulse of their patrons and therefore the pulse of America, real America. In every episode, we will feature some incredible cocktail recipes, which you can find in the show notes. If you're a bartender or if you'd like to nominate your favorite bartender to be on our podcast, please email us at highballpolitics at gmail.com. Today we're talking with Rebecca Smoyer, who manages and tends bar at Checker Hall in Highland Park, California. Rebecca, though, was also a culinary producer on the reality series Bar Rescue. So she's traveled as a beverage consultant all around the world. But before we chat with Rebecca, let's get a bit of context on what's been going on in the news and why California is important right now to what's happening in America. David, we're back in L.A., but we're in a very different part of L.A. than we were a couple months ago when we were in North Hollywood. Highland Park is in the northeast part of L.A. It's a very diverse neighborhood, almost all the way to Pasadena, just around the corner from Dodger Stadium, one of my favorite places to visit in Los Angeles. And I know it's yours when the Cubs are there. You know, it'll be interesting to get her perspective of California, probably from a very urban liberal perspective of what's going on in presidential politics, etc. But we're also going to tap into some of her knowledge as someone who has traveled as an itinerant bartender with Bar Rescue to some very red places in the country. Can't wait. All right, so let's bring on our guest, Rebecca Smoyer, who manages Intense Bar at Checker Hall in Highland Park, California. Bex, welcome to Highball Politics. We're glad to have you on. Hi, guys. I'm so excited to be here today. You have a bit of an interesting background. Let's cover this first. You're currently working Highland Park, kind of a neat little neighborhood in Northeast LA near Pasadena, right? But you have some interesting national experience with bars. Tell us about that. I worked as a culinary producer on the TV show Bar Rescue for about two and a half years. So we traveled across the country. I was on the road for about three weeks out of the month in small kind of cities. Say, for example, I was in Dallas. I'd be at a suburb of Dallas or a suburb of Jacksonville, Utah, everywhere. Strip mall bars, like that's where we were going. So, you know, I got to see it all. I watched a bunch of episodes of that. That's a great show. Is Taffer as tough as he seems on TV? He's worse in life. (laughs) (laughs) So then tell us a little bit about Checker Hall. And then at the end of that, what's your signature cocktail there that you got for us? Okay, so Checker Hall and Lodge Room. Lodge Room is the music venue side of it. It's a 500-person music venue. And Checker Hall is a 120-person restaurant. It was actually converted from an old Freemasons Lodge. So it's really freaking cool in there. And it's on a busy strip on Figueroa. We have a lot of regulars that come in and a lot of different types of people, which makes it really cool. We have a huge queer crowd. We have a huge Latino crowd. And then we have the spoiled kids from Occidental coming in. So it's- Yeah, you go around. That's right. Yeah, it's great. And I love it. It's been my home. Even when I was on the road with Bar Rescue, I was still managing that place. And the reason I quit pretty much Bar Rescue was to come home and spend doing that full time. But then COVID hit. But I'm still there and I love it. You know, we have shows about five nights a week. And then the restaurant and bars open late on the weekends till 2 a.m. where we get a DJ in. And it's just a fun, good crowd. And I love it. It's my home. What kind of acts are you putting in the performance venue, 500 people? Who's up in there? Oh, my God. We've had everybody. I mean, we have small up-and-coming musicians that will make it big. But when we first opened, we had Phoebe Bridgers. Just recently, Beck asked to come and perform. Oh, wow. Two shows. I'd like... 
And he does it cheaply. He's not charging, you know, $200 for a ticket, which is huge. And we don't have those fees that go on. He charged $35. Yeah, it's crazy. And then we'll have like Paul Tompkins. He's a comedian and, you know, very mm -hmm. political too. We'll even do like Planned Parenthood benefits there. Rachel Bloom like hosted something. So it's a fun, eclectic venue, still small, still independent. And it's one of the top venues in LA right now because we don't have any real rules. You know, we don't have any rules to follow. That's pretty much why I stay there too. I get to watch music for free. Interesting. <laughs> Give us the cocktail. This looks amazing. Okay, so guys, this is the first time I've ever given out this recipe and I was very hesitant because this was like voted one of the top cocktails, killer cocktails in LA. All right, okay. we won't share it with anybody else. Just <laughs> Everybody. Just Rob and you uh -huh. and me. Oh, good. So this is called the Carmen Number no. Six. It was one of my original cocktails when we opened in 2017, and it's kind of a cross between a spicy margarita and a Paloma, two of the top-selling cocktails these days. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna do two ounces of jalapeno-infused tequila. Now, if you don't have the time to infuse your tequila with jalapeno, like many don't, just throw in two little slices of jalapeno. You're gonna do half ounce of agave, half ounce of lime juice. And then you're gonna do half ounce of pamplemousse liqueur. Now listen, no one really has that in their house, so you can use grapefruit juice. Pamplemousse is grapefruit. And then my secret ingredient is yuzu. It's a Japanese citrus. So you just use a quarter of yuzu. You shake that all together. You dump it into a glass. You top it with a little Angostura bitter. So you're gonna have that aroma on top and that's really what makes it like pop. And then a grapefruit peel. Simple cocktail, but you will impress your friends. And it's great. It's our number one seller over at Checker Hall. If you're in the area, I suggest anybody come try it out. Hell, if you mention this podcast, I might even buy you one. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I like it. I like it. Low promotional. The Japanese liqueur that's in there, is that fairly readily available? It's actually Japanese citrus juice, yuzu. And citrus juice. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yuzu. You can pretty much find it in any... Like Asian market, sometimes like regular stores, so you can find it not often, but you can also, you know, go on that big conglomerate Amazon and purchase it and have it overpriced shipped to you. Sweeter notes, right? With the yeah. yuzu, that kind of yeah. sweetens itself. A little, it's more of the pamplemousse that does. The yuzu kind of adds that tartness. It's kind of that flavor you're going to sip this cocktail and be like, oh, this isn't a normal See, margarita. Yeah, the, the reason Kochel's asking about the sweetness is because whatever the sweet ingredient is, he's going to dump more of it. I mean, no, come on. No, no, yeah, well, that's Steve's terrible. I want yeah, yeah. one of those. It's bad. It's bad. Yeah. Pour more agave in it if you yeah. want. Just go ahead and live in my cocktail. No, I won't. No, no, I'll, have, <laughs> no. I'll make it the way you say to make it. We have a lot of people come on and talk about infusions. How long is that going to take? If I just have a fifth of tequila, I want to throw, you know, one jalapeno pepper in there sliced up. How long? You can do it probably in about two hours. Instead of slicing it, muddle it up in like a container with the tequila and then pour it back into the bottle, shake it up a little bit. It could be ready to go in probably like an yeah. hour if you got fast, fast yeah, infusion. We yeah. muddle things up a lot. Yeah, we muddle all the time. We're expert <laughs> muddle, muddle, muddle. <laughs> Bartender's favorite word, muddle. Let's go back out to your bar rescue career where you moved around the country. And I love it. You called them strip mall bars, right? Yeah, it's, it's pretty much right. neighborhood, suburban regular folk coming in. Talk about some of the experience. Well, experiences or takeaways from all that as you got to be in these bar environments around the country. Okay. Well, let me first start a little bit with Florida because like here in California, you will hear a lot of us go, ew, Florida. Like who wants to go to Florida? No one wants to go to Florida. Oh, it's sad. It's unfortunately, I don't know where that comes from or where that really started. 
I mean, probably what the news feeds us. But I was pleasantly surprised when I went to Florida. You think it's all these white Republican men. But no, it's just everyday people like us. Yes, we have different values. But I had some great conversations about football at the bars because I'm a huge Eagles fan. And, you know, Jacksonville Jaguars kind of are crappy. But I had some good, nice debates with them. And, you know, they're interesting. Like, yeah, sure, we don't share the same values. But you learn. You learn and you change the way you look. And when you're in the real world and not just focus on the TV and what the news is feeding you, you see how people in Florida really are. And I think that's one of the biggest takeaways I had from Bar Rescue, whether it be in Florida, like Jacksonville, St. Petersburg, we went to Dallas, Texas, and like everyone is kind of fighting for the same thing. It just has changed so much that people just tend to think they hate each other when they really don't, you know? And that's what I took away from a lot of Bar Rescue experience is you can have different politics still. What happened to that? Eight years ago, we were fine with it. And now... It just seems like we're angry with each other all the time. But when we sit down with a good beer in our hands, we're the same, you know? That's an excellent point. Yeah, this is a recurring theme on our show. And we do talk to a lot of folks who are bartending in big cities, very blue, maybe in a red state. And so a lot of times we kind of try to suss some of that out. But I think it's interesting that you had a preconceived notion of Florida. It is fed to us, you know, in our news yeah. diet that, you know, wants to divide us, create controversy, create tribes and people kind of get at each other. And Rob always talks about how the bar is really the public house from the old days where, you know, people can kind of come and share ideas and talk and get to know what other experiences are and all of that. And, you know, we celebrate that. That's one of the things we want to do with this show. But Jacksonville is kind of interesting because it is, you know, it's one of those cities that's had a Republican mayor for a long time. But just in this last election, I think they elected a Democrat for the first time in, in quite a while. So, you know, a place like Florida still always evolving and changing. It's one of the most diverse states in the country. And yet, you know, Ronda Santos won by 20 points. I mean, yeah, yeah there you go. See, yeah. and there, there's your reaction. But it's interesting how this big state used to be the biggest swing state, you know, Tim Russert, Florida, Florida, Florida. And now it's trended red. But I like your experience having gone there and seen, you know, other side of people and be able to actually have conversations. So that's good. Yeah, it is good. Because now I think I still kind of have those moments where I think when I hear about Ron, I'm like, oh, Florida. But and then I have to go back and remember it's not all about him, you know? Yeah. What you hear about him isn't all of what he is, right? Because he didn't govern just as a culture warrior. He had other, you know, other things he was communicating to voters. What we see fed to us through the news that we consume tends to, you know, raise blood pressure over things. But, um, you know, there's a reason he was reelected with you know, I mean, what did Trump won Florida by three points? He won by 20. There's a reason for that. You can discover that, I guess, by, you know, getting around in some of these different suburbs and bars and seeing what people talk about. So I'm, I'm glad you had that experience. We applaud it for sure. So what did you see as more of the common trait that maybe felt you a little more united with people from Florida or Texas than what you were expecting? Or what surprised you? I just expected them to like kind of just go right into me, you know, when I told them I'm from Los Angeles, because you do get that. I was at home in Pennsylvania the other day and someone did that to me in the, the grocery store. But it was interesting. You just can have a normal conversation about the weather, about dogs, about football, about anything. You know, you don't have to just go right into politics, you know, and it's right. You kind of forget that. And even when you do, you can goof around about it. You know, you're the asshole that's, you know, made Ron win by 20 points. And then just joke around about it instead of you're a mother, you know, you're an asshole 
<laughs> made him win. You know, right. it's like something about just human to human contact. You mentioned football. It's interesting. Our friend Jonathan Martin, who's the national political correspondent now for Politico, it's one of the top political journalists in the country. I don't know if it was on Twitter or I may have saw him in the discussion, but talking about that football is like the last common institution that all Americans seem to share together. Probably football and booze. Right. And, and, and drinking for a lot of them. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting that what I hear you hear you identify football as a topic that was disarming and allowed people to talk to one another, even though you're an Eagles fan, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Born and raised outside of Philadelphia. So Fly Eagles Fly got close last year and too soon. Well, I'm a Niner fan. So we oh, okay. Smashed you. Yeah. Literally well, smashed. Well, you know, if we, <laughs> turns out a one armed quarterback doesn't work. <laughs> My guy right there, Rob, Brock Purdy. My God, Iowa State. Well, you should have taught him to throw with his left arm, too. Were Jacksonville Jaguar fans, like, real rabid for the Jaguars? Yeah, they were, were, and I didn't expect to see that. I just thought, you know, major big players were like that. But no, they still have passion, and they love even if their team was crap, you know? And I get that. I have some love now for Jacksonville because of Dougie Peterson, but yeah, I mean, it's just fun. It's fun being able to talk to people about sports, and I think that's a huge thing that, you know, like you said, it makes people come together, and you can still just, you know, have a normal conversation with them. Dougie Peterson, also known as Doug Peterson, but, you know, obviously you have, you know, first same basis with him. Eagles coach, uh-huh. which coached the team to a Super Bowl victory over the Patriots before he decamped for Jacksonville, so good tie there. Yeah, so you got some ties that. The Jaguars. Well, let's go back to Highland Park. So you okay. talked about the diverse crowd a little bit. How do you sense people are feeling about economic issues, their jobs or inflation or cost of housing kind of post-COVID? You get any sense of all how they're feeling about the economy? Yeah, it's not good. That's actually something that comes up a lot, especially in Highland Park where sticker prices on rent is insane. You get a one-bedroom studio, 350 square feet, and they're charging 2900 to rent. It's like, how can anybody afford that? And a lot of our guests, luckily, are grandfathered in and they've been there for a while, so they don't have that problem. But, you know, it is a huge thing. Like you can't, who can afford that anymore these days? And it is something we talk about. And then when our guests come in and now, unfortunately, we're like everybody else, we're, you know, charging 15 to $20 a cocktail. You know? I was going to ask you that. Has it gone up a lot just in the it, past couple of years? It, yeah, a lot. It kills me to do this, but you have other things are coming into effect. Like the cost of liquor is going up. Every week I see on my my sheet's $2 more for the case. Or, you know, our price of labor is going up. Our employees, I think, are at sixteen oh four an hour. It's a freaking margarita. Why are we spending $15 on it? But it's because we have staff and we have rent to pay and our chicken costs more than it's ever cost before. So, mm-hmm. and I have this exact conversation with guests. I'm like, listen, I'm sorry. You know, we want to stay in business and this is how we do it. You don't see as many happy hours either anymore. Yeah, our guests definitely have, you know, sticker shock sometimes when they see the prices of things. The funny thing about booze is that people love it and people will spend that money for it. Once you get the first one in them, you know, you're going to want to have a second one. Here's my credit card. I'll pay that off in two months, you know, and I've done that. Yeah. So you got this venue attached, and which means you probably have, you know, the artistic community around. Is the writer's strike playing a role at this point now? Are you seeing any economic fallout from that? Not really. More so like we had Paul F. Tompkins in, I think, about a month ago. 
and he did a whole bit about the writer's strike and stuff like yeah. that. It doesn't really affect us too much, but it is talked about a lot. We do every now and then, if someone mentions that they're on strike, we will throw them a free cocktail or, you know, free hummus or something like that. But it hasn't really affected our sales on the music side of things, thank God. We're doing actually really well, better than we were doing pre-COVID. On the inflation issue, because you people yeah. you say people do talk about it, they notice yeah, a lot. Yeah, your prices have go and and this you know it's not going to be just your bar; it's going to be everywhere they go. They're seeing this, right? Yeah. Do they talk about who they blame for that, if anybody? It's kind of falling surprisingly on Biden, even though you know we're majority Democrats. But I know a lot of us feel, and what I've heard is, they just don't understand why things aren't getting done, and like why this is happening like you know it's constantly in the news that he can't seal a deal even with let's say for example i'm going a little off topic with the debt relief for student loans it's like why like you promised us this and why you know so there's a little bit of anger towards biden right now like why aren't you getting these done one of the things that i've heard a lot is what happened to kamala where is her voice on you know, she used to fight for stuff like this, and I just feel like she's been silenced. And that's something our guests say, you know, like, where is the United Front with the Democrats? And why aren't they doing more? And why are we paying so much? And why will I never be able to afford a house? And that's a common thing that I hear with myself, with my crew, with my guests. I will never be able to afford a house here in Los Angeles. Wow. In political polling, you know, we have a poll question that's asked on almost every poll, which is, do you think the country's going in the right direction or is it off on the wrong track? So we call that right track, wrong track. And the president has a lot of advantages as an incumbent coming into election, except when you have a very high wrong track number where people just don't feel good about the direction of the country. It tends to fall back on the president because he's in charge, right? You know, whether some things are getting better. You know, inflation, I know, just, I think, dropped to 3% this last month. Rob, did you see that in the last day or so? Yeah. The Biden campaign is trying to argue that things are getting better. But when people don't feel it and when people don't see it and when people are coming to your bar and you still go up, you know, a, a buck 50 for a margarita to sixteen fifty, you know, you're going to feel bad about that. So it's it's kind of almost out of his hands. When that wrong track number exists, it's really hard to get away from, which is why they're going to try to make the election about whether it's abortion or Trump or January 6th or whatever. They'll try to make it a contrast with Trump, assuming he's the nominee or any Republican for that matter. But it's one of those things where, you know, a Democrat would be frustrated because, you know, these are the things that you believe in. And yet the country is going in the wrong direction. And that's part of, I think, the real problem Biden faces right now. So Biden, we all know his poll numbers are weak. It's interesting. You volunteer that information that, you know, even a bar mostly full of Democrats see him as the number one person to blame for the economic mm -hmm. uh, inflationary issues. So very active political governor in California, mm. uh, Gavin Newsom, who's taken the campaigning around the country. Many people think Biden were to falter. He's going to jump right into this race. Is there much discussion there in the bar about the governor? Do you get a general sense people have an opinion of him? Not too much, actually. And what I do sense sometimes is in our area, they don't love him either. I don't know why. You know, he's charming, he's sweet, but he just looks like a Hollywood actor and they're just not in love with him either. I don't know. They don't give me definitions, but we don't talk too much about him. And it's almost an afterthought that he is our governor. I'm sure he would be a great candidate, but we haven't talked about it lately. It's just kind of like, oh, he's our governor. Meh. 
for those of us who obsess about politics, Bex, we see him, you know, going on Hannity and kind of getting into a debate with Hannity. Uh We see him challenging Ron DeSantis to a debate, running ads in Florida about California. Then I love him. Mocking Republicans. (laughs) But that's not breaking through to you, right? So that's, that's you're just not seeing that. that. Yeah. Yeah. And hearing that now, I'm like, all right, he wanted to get up against Ron. I'm going to go and Google this stuff because, yes, okay, that's great. But why are we not hearing that? Why do I not know it? Thank you for bringing that up, you know, but we're not seeing that. You know, this is why we interview people like you because, you know, Rob and I spend half of our day paying attention to every little twist and turn in politics. We're on Twitter all the time. We're probably way too online. And for people who obsess about politics or watch cable news all day, they don't understand how you aren't following this because it's all they can think about and care about. But that's why we interview people like you, because we'd love to know, you know, how much of this breaks through, how much are people thinking and talking about it? And yeah, go check it out. Go Google what Gavin is doing to bedevil Republicans. And a lot of us think that he is really kind of setting himself up in the event that Biden, for some reason, decides not to make the race. He'd like to have his profile high enough to be able to jump in there and, you know, try to see if he can become the standard bearer. So I think that's what's uh, going on. I would love for you to come into my bar and just talk about these things. So <laughs> open invitation hey, for you. Rob, when are we going to L.A.? Well, I was going to say, <laughs> if, there's, if there's a carbon six involved, I don't think this will be a hard sell. Yeah. I don't know if we have any Dodgers Cubs on the books, though. I think we've been out there once. Well, I, Dodgers Stadium's just down the road. Yeah, it is. It's a hop, skip, and a jump. Yeah. Uh, my favorite places on earth. Not necessarily cudgels. No, it's where Cubs go to lose, mostly. Real quick, then we'll leave politics. You got a new mayor in L.A. The congressman from just up the road, Mr. Schiff, is running for U.S. Senate. Is there anyone that comes to mind as like, well, who maybe is the most popular or most highly thought of politician? Doesn't have to be local. Could be national or, you know, it could be someone right there in town. Positive way, I mean... A lot of people kind of are digging Karen Bass right now, but we're all sitting around waiting for her to, you know, make on her promises, especially with the homelessness in L.A. and stuff. But a lot of people are behind her and believe in her right now. And I feel like if she continues to just, you know, act and kind of make things happen, I think we'll see, you know, a huge change in L.A. That's what we're hoping for anyway. So I would name her as definitely the number one powerhouse right now. She gets the benefit of the honeymoon so far. Yeah, yeah, we will see. But, you know, female, they get stuff done. Yeah, there you go. Yes, they do. Uh, Nikki Haley would agree. So we have a presidential campaign going on. We talked a little bit about Biden, but there's a Republican campaign coming up. I know that your place has a lot of Democrats, but California is going to be early in the process this time. Is it March, Rob? Yeah, Super Tuesday. So Super Tuesday, a lot of delegates at stake. Republicans are trying to sort things out for themselves. Anybody talking about that at all, or is it still just kind of Trump and, you know, what the latest outrage is? Or is anybody paying attention to any other candidates in this race? Do you ever hear about it? Sadly, I wish I could say, yes, you know, we talk about it a lot and you just mentioned March and I had no idea, you know, and I'm with it. I watch news and I follow Twitter, but I still don't know. And it's not something we're really talking about. We had a politician's office underneath us, Gil Sidero, and then there was some, you know, drama with leaked tapes with Kevin DeLeon and all that stuff. So that was a hot. That was a hot topic for a split moment, but then it faded. Let me recap that real quick, Bex, for So that's an L.A. City Hall scandal that took uh-huh. place. Gil Cedillo is a city councilman, was. Well, yeah. Uh, Kevin DeLeon was. Nuri Martinez, who was president of the city council, 
a secret recording out of the L.A. Labor Fed office, which basically caught them on tape, particularly Martinez talking in racist terms about another council member's child. Huge scandal led to resignations. Cedillo lost his reelect. De Leon has refused to leave, and there's going to be a big, big election next year that tried to take him out. But L.A. City Council, I mean, that's what makes the news down there. I mean, since then, there's been another indictment on the council, Curran Price. Earlier this year, there was a conviction in Councilman Ridley Thomas. I mean, there's plenty that seems to be going on in City Hall that probably is topical. That's the stuff we hear. Like, seriously, Gil's office was in our same building. It's vacant now, but so we got a lot of that juice. Did, Did Gil ever come in? Yeah, he came in a few times. He is a nice guy. I didn't he is. know. He's, he, he's not, a good guy. Normal got, dude. But has got, He is a normal dude. He got caught up in that. In Recall Happy California, Rob, how is all that going on without a recall of one or more of these? Well, I think there was consideration. They may have filed a recall in De Leon, but it, it takes some money to do that. My understanding is right now, I think the idea is to try to wait it out. Yeah. And the primary is early. It's March. So, we're, yeah. Yeah, it's not that so fun. March is when De Leon time could be finally up. Is that what you're saying? He could lose the primary. His time okay. would go through next year still. Okay. Got it. Good enough. Yeah. LA city politics isn't boring. Back to the presidential campaign. It is interesting. I mean, California has a lot of Republican delegates. I know we think of it as a very blue state, and it is, but there's a bunch of delegates at stake, and coming in as early as it does, you know, it's, it's never really mattered because, you know, the California primary happened the first Tuesday of June. And now this is a lot of delegates at stake. And if Trump's were to stumble somewhere along the way in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada might make California really, really pivotal. And you'll see people actually coming out and working for it. One other quick note on California for the listeners. Yes, the biggest delegate hall because it's the biggest state and it's winner take all, but it's winner take all by congressional district. Mm -hmm. So we're now at we lost one sort 52 congressional districts. And so it's almost like that many different mini campaigns. And so you think about Maxine Waters' congressional district or Nancy Pelosi's congressional district. Well, the Republicans in those seats will be able to allocate the same amount of delegates as, say, the Republicans in Kevin McCarthy's district or Tom McClintock's district. So there's a little bit of, you know, there's some opportunity for some campaigns. They have the resources to try to take advantage of that uh, interesting dynamic. The other thing, remember, about California is we're all mail ballots all vote-by-mail ballots. Mm -hmm. And so the election will begin the first week of February when the ballots hit. So what has just happened, say, in New Hampshire, South Carolina, or Nevada may influence those. And I was going right now on January 15th, and New Hampshire early. is going on uh, January 23rd, and then you've got a couple of weeks after that before you get to Bex, did any of your travels ever take you to Iowa? No, I wish, but no, I haven't gone to Iowa, unfortunately. Well, we, you ever going to go to Iowa... Cottrell can put you on a good Des Moines bar crawl. Uh, For sure. It's quite legit. Awesome. Should we get to the fun part? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you've got some good stuff here prepared for us. I mean, one of the traditions here in Highball Politics is we ask our guest bartender to give us a couple different recipes named after politicians. And because you've got this great national perspective from your time on Bar Rescue, we have given you the entire country to choose from. And you've got some dandies here. I certainly do. I mean, you know, listen, guys, I'm not really into politics, but I do watch the news. And one of the biggest schmucks right now is Mr. George Santos. I mean, I feel like everybody can agree on that. So since he is kind of a joke, instead of doing a full-fledged cocktail, I did a mocktail. 
And this actually, <laughs> this actually is a really good cocktail. So I do suggest trying to make it. So in a shaker, you will muddle, guys, your favorite word and what you love we're, to do. We're muddlers. I don't do it too often, but for you guys, I did a muddled cocktail. Five mint sprigs and three slices of cucumber. Again, we're going to pull out that yuzu juice. So again, get yourself some yuzu juice. We're going to do a quarter ounce of yuzu juice, a half ounce of lime juice, half ounce of simple syrup. You throw some ice in there. You shake it up really hard, break apart those cucumber pieces. You dump it into a glass topped with seltzer. So it's a nice refreshing kind of spritz. Now, if you want to make it real, a real politician, unlike George Santos and all his lies, you can <laughs> add 1.5 ounce of vodka or gin, and that makes a delicious cocktail. That looks... Uh, Refreshing, very summery. Unlike him, but it is a mocktail. <laughs> a fake. A yes. fake. Oh, Mr. George. And then we did another interesting cocktail because this is someone that I've thought about a lot is Joe Manchin. We've done a Joe Manchin sour because he is a little sour. So <laughs> in shaker, we are going to do two ounces of Singani 63. Singani 63, like Joe, you can't really tell what it is. And... <laughs> <laughs> what it what it is is it's actually an awesome spirit i do recommend anybody going to the store and picking up a bottle of this it's a bolivian spirit has a lot of funk and stank it can change any cocktail you can make a margarita out of it all right side note so again you're going to do two ounces of this great singani 63 you're going to do three quarters ounce of lemon juice three quarters ounce of simple syrup and half an ounce of agua fava now, aguafaba is kind of a bartender's alternative to egg whites because a lot of people don't like egg whites in their sour. This is basically, it sounds disgusting, but it's it works really well in cocktails. It's the liquid that comes from the can of chickpeas. It sounds so gross. It doesn't have a flavor like chickpeas, but it froths up. It's perfect for vegans that uh, love sours. So again, you're going to use half an ounce of this aguafaba. Simply just go to the store, buy a can of chickpeas for this ingredient. And then you can shake it and you can serve it up in a martini glass or serve it over ice and just garnish it with a little lemon and a dash of bitters on top. It's a delicious sour, just like Joe. <laughs> Back to the liquor guys. What's it called again? Bengani six. Bengani, yes. Have you had it? It's my favorite thing. Never had it. So no, I got it. But oh, it's it. Bolivian. Is it anything close to its Peruvian neighbor in, with Pisco. It, it's similar. It's made from okay. Moscow grapes. Um, it actually was brought to the U.S. by the producer, Steven Sodenberg. And it's not like a celebrity liquor. He actually had black market Singani, fell in love with it, and just did this whole thing to bring it to the U.S. And it just, like we talked about it, we're spending 15 to $20 on a cocktail, and they're all starting to taste the same. You know, it's just like, oh, it's another uh -huh. version. So as a bartender, I suggest if you see Singani on a menu, do something different. You know, buy a bottle of that, impress your friends. Do we still have to go to the black market to, no. like, deep no, you... Sodenberg and take, you... get a hookup? or? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I know it's readily available out here in Los Angeles because okay. it is a little trendy, but I'm like, I, I, this is cheesy. I just have so much passion for this spirit for some reason, just because it adds such a coolness to cocktails. I'm, I nerd out about it. Sorry, guys. Oh, that's what we're here for. Here's how you get it. You just go to Singani63.com and click the buy now button. It's very easy. S-I-N-G-A-N-I 63.com. So I found it. Oh, I love really? their website. Yeah, their website has two people who look like they're kind of muzzled 
and the letters on the muzzle say WTF is Singani 63. So. <laughs> That's perfect. I didn't even know that website existed. We're going to have to give them a little tag on when we post this episode. Maybe a new oh, sponsor. Maybe I can be there, you know. Yeah, you're their influencer. Well, Rebecca, you did two things here that we've never seen before. Number one, you're our first mocktail. We've been talking about this for a while, so that's pretty cool because we have the fake George Santos has to have the fake cocktail. And you did the first Singani 63. I mean, this is landmark. Yeah, that's what I'm known for. Not good. No. <laughs> no, I just hope your listeners enjoy because these are really good cocktails. I didn't just throw stuff together. It's really. Oh, you gave I us her secret all. recipe on the yeah, Carbon what? 6. I mean. Yeah, I might not have a job tomorrow. But... We won't tell anybody about that. That's what I'll reach out to Singani and see if they're hiring. <laughs> Invent the Carmen 7. You'll be fine. Yeah. Bex, thank you so much. You know, sharing your varied experiences from across the country, your knowledge of cocktails is astounding. You're an award winner when it comes to that. And we just have loved your candor. It's what we hope for on these interviews. And you cleared the high bar. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I actually took notes about, you know, when to look out for my ballot and stuff like that. You guys really informed me, and I appreciate that. It's great, guys. We're just making the world a better place. Cocktails and voting and bottling. Having fun while we're doing it. I love it. Thanks so much for joining us, Bex. We do appreciate it. Thank you, guys. So, Kachel, that was great. She's got this great, interesting perspective of having worked with Bar Rescue around the country. But the cocktails, man, I mean, it's in the show notes, folks. Get those recipes and spin those up. They just sounded amazing. But what were your takeaways? Well, first of all, yeah, Rebecca's great. She was a fun guest. She clearly enjoyed coming on with us. And we appreciate that, obviously. We want to make it feel like it's you and I, you know, just stepping up to the bar and having a conversation. So she's fantastic. I agree the cocktails were great. You know, she's clearly comes from the left and is in a bar that, you know, is probably pretty democratic, but, you know, working bar rescue, going other places, being from Philly, you know, she's got a national perspective and hearing her talk about Jacksonville and other places and kind of how, you know, it kind of validates our premise here, which is that, you know, the bar is a place where everybody can come together. It doesn't matter what party you are, whether you care about politics or not. It's just one of those things. People come together. They kind of can get to a unified place where everybody's having a good time, enjoying the same things. And that's why we do the show. Two things stuck out to me. We talked about, you know, people in Florida not being nearly as horrific as she had imagined or has been told. (laughs) She never met the actual Florida man, Rob. (laughs) Florida. Well, he was eaten by a gator. Football. Football is still like the great single institution that unifies people. I mean, other sports too, but football, of course, is unparalleled. The second thing is core Democrat constituency. The bar is full of Democrats. It's a very liberal neighborhood. Identifying disappointment in the president, which portends things for us, right? We're talking to an urban liberal bartender and her patrons are the same. It goes to that you know, base lack of enthusiasm right. that Biden may be facing. If he's the nominee, I think he and I both still think there's some odds that he's not. No, I agree with that. I think, you know, we hear that all the time. I did also appreciate that she brought up Kamala on her own. We've done that a yeah. few times with other yeah. where Where'd she go? Where'd she go? Yeah, where's yeah. Waldo? But that's right. That's why the campaign that Biden's going to run is going to have to make it all about, you know, the Republican Party and make it all about the contrast because people are not in a mood to reelect this president. You can just see it in those low approval numbers. But, you know, we'll kind of see what happens. We've got a long ways to play this out now. We got our date set for Iowa, New Hampshire in the early states, and, and Super Tuesday in California is going to be a big deal. 
So quick trivia question to take it out on cops. Well, I'm going to stump you, I think. So she talked about the rich kids that would come in, the spoiled kids from Occidental. That's Occidental College. They're in Eagle Rock, just around the corner yeah. from Highway Park. What yeah. famous American politician went to Occidental College? Uh, that would be one Barack Hussein Obama. What about Jack Kemp? You're supposed to say Jack Kemp. Well, I didn't know Jack Kemp that he went there, but I know Obama did. Well, it's funny that in my book, right, I'm, I'm going to think, <laughs> to me, the answer is Jack Kemp. Well, for those listeners of the pod, you can't see the video, but most times Rob is sitting at a desk that has a photo of him and Jack Kemp behind him. So that's, right. that's why you would bring him up. All right. You gave the correct answer. Yeah. Kemp went to Occidental before he went on to be an NFL quarterback um, and a congressman from New York and a cabinet secretary and a vice presidential candidate. All right. That's enough of us talking. That's it for this episode. Thank you for giving highball politics a shot, pun intended. Please join us next week as we pull up a bar stool in another politically and culturally interesting state in this great country, and we'll interview a bartender to find out what the locals are drinking and what they're saying. Until then, cheers, Gottschall. Cheers, Rob. Highball Politics is a podcast presentation of Highball Media. Executive producers are David Kotchel and me, Rob Stutzman. Our producer is Miranda Perrin. Please send your bartender nominations and any questions to highballpolitics at gmail.com. And find us on social media. We're at Highball Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And if you were brave enough to make this week's signature cocktail, please remember to tag your pics of this week's with the hashtag Highball Podcast. And if you want to support our show, please subscribe to Highball Politics wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star review, and please share this episode with your friends. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.